0: You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com.
1: Today we read from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 22 through 44:23. "Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel." You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case, that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I profaned the priests of the sanctuary, and delivered Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshuram, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. For I have told you from of old and declared it. You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it and with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. And falls down to it and worships it, he prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it in an abomination?" Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. O oh, heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O oh, depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O oh, mountains, O oh, forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. This is the word of God.
0: Well, good morning, church. You might have noticed that in this section of Isaiah, we're not following the chapter breaks exactly um, because that's not always where the thoughts break. And so if you're new to the Bible, you need to know that the chapters and verses were added by scribes later to sort of help us navigate. But the original text is just one long narrative for 66 chapters, all right? It's one big long book. And so uh, sometimes the way the scribes chose to break up the, the chapters doesn't exactly follow how the flow of the text and the thought breaks work. And so especially in these middle chapters in the 40s, we're sort of starting in the middle of one chapter ending in the middle of the next chapter just because that's how the thought progresses in this section of the book of Isaiah. So glad you're with us and glad we get to dive into this this morning. Before we do that, I want to give you a quick financial update from the month of August. We try to do this monthly, just so you know where we are. Um, So you see, this is uh, August. We were just a little bit behind, about $2,000 behind, but that's real close to where we need to be, so that was a good month for us. And I think we also have a year-to-date slide here that shows you where we're at for the year. Uh, And so you see that we're actually over our giving goal for the year, and we've actually been a little bit behind on our expenses, and so that's good. So yeah. Thank you. Give yourselves a hand. God is providing, and that's good news. So thanks to those of you who are giving uh, faithfully. And again, for those of you who aren't, we invite you to. And if you're not yet a Christian or this is not your church, this is not a guilt trip, we don't want your money, uh, we'll take it if you want to give it. But other than that, this is something we give on a monthly basis, just so the people who are part of this church know where we're at and and how we're doing in our financial stewardship. All right. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a place of deep spiritual weariness you've felt a deadness or a dryness of soul perhaps you find yourself in that place this morning perhaps you've been there recently there's a story i've seen play out numerous times in the years i've served in God's church and and it sort of goes like this someone comes to new or renewed faith in Christ So either they they believe the message of the gospel for the first time, or their affections are recaptured by what God has done for us in Christ. And there's a spiritual renewal that takes place. And so there's this burst of energy and joy and spiritual vitality. There's sort of this honeymoon phase of spiritual growth where everything is new and fresh and vibrant. and, And they pour themselves deeply into ministry and into community. And into the life of a local church. And that season lasts for a few years. And then often, something triggers a change. In some cases, maybe it's a crisis. There's an experience of personal suffering that's sort of disorienting and and throws your world spinning. Or, Or maybe some close friend leaves the church or abandons the faith. There's something that's sort of a crisis moment. Or sometimes it's not a crisis. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes the reality is you hit that season that Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. You get to that place in your spiritual life where, where God's bearing fruit through just faithfulness and obedience and sort of the energy and the vitality seems to be Less. Whether it comes through a crisis or through normal, seasonal change. What happens is you start to feel burned out. Worship becomes dry and routine and dutiful. You're still showing up. You're still among the people of God, but there's no life and no fervor and no vibrancy in your relationship with God. Have you been there? Are you there this morning? I thought it might be helpful to survey five signs of spiritual weariness. Five manifestations of what this feels like as it plays out. Consider these and ponder, have you sensed these in your own soul? The first sign is this. You feel weighed down by your sins and or the sins of other people. Sometimes it's very personal, it's about your sins. Sometimes it's about things going on in other people's lives, but you feel weighty and burdened by that. A second sign is you feel spiritually dry, just lacking vitality. A third sign, you feel joyless and restless. Restless. Fourth, you feel distant from God. Fifth, you feel hopeless and cynical about yourself, others, or the world in general. There's sort of a baseline cynicism and hopelessness about reality that pervades your emotional life. These are signs of spiritual weariness. And, and when you're in this place, here's the mistake that you're often prone to make. When you're in this place, you tend to look outside yourself for the problem and inside yourself for the solution. So what you tend to do is to say, the reason I'm here is because of some external factor my spiritual weariness is the church's fault i'm not getting fed like i want to they're not taking care of me the way i need to be taken care of or it's it's my gospel community's fault the people around me aren't loving me well i've even heard people blame it on their schedule it's my calendar and it's my busyness and it's the pace of life that's making me this way I look outside myself for the problem, and I tend to look inside myself for the solution. So the answer to all of this is, I need to make a change. I need to find a new church, or find a new gospel community, or simplify my life. If I just take control, if I change my circumstances, if I do something to sort of reshape my life, that will remedy my spiritual dryness. Isaiah wants you to see, we've actually got that precisely backwards. If you're spiritually weary, Isaiah says, you need to look inside yourself for the problem and outside yourself for the solution. The solution to spiritual weariness is repentance and faith. Isaiah wants to show you that your weariness has a deeper and a more sinister root than you sometimes think it does. And he wants to encourage you with the good news that you can change. You don't have to stay in this place. In fact, God has provided the resources for you to experience something different. So let's look first of all at the problem of spiritual weariness. Isaiah 43, verses 22-24. through God says this to His people in the Old Testament. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You see the language of weariness, of burden in this paragraph. And the key to this paragraph is where the emphasis lies in the Hebrew text. So we can show that in English with bold letters or with italics or with underlining as we've done on this next slide. What God says here is, you didn't call upon me, O Jacob. You haven't brought me your sheep or honored me with your sacrifices. See, it's not that they had stopped bringing sacrifices. That's not the problem. The problem was they weren't doing it For God. It wasn't about God. They were going through the motions of worship without a heart of worship. Their worship wasn't worship at all. It was a bargaining tool. Their relationship with God was transactional in nature. We'll give God what He wants so that God will give us what we want. You'll notice that verses 23 and 24 involve a word play on the word burdened. God says in verse 23, I have not burdened you with offerings, and He says in verse 24, but you have burdened Me with your sins. And this word is significant because it's a word that's used in the Exodus narrative in a particular way. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. God says this, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. The Hebrew text there is literally, whom the Egyptians have burdened. And I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. God says in the Exodus, my deliverance of my people was an unburdening. I was lifting their burdens and bringing them out into freedom. And so what God says in Isaiah 43 is, I haven't burdened you with offerings. In fact, what I've done is to unburden you so that you can worship me in freedom. But see, what you've done in response to that is you have burdened me with your sins. You've enslaved Me, you've made me your servant. You've made worship into a means of getting something from me. You're using me, which is different than loving me. If you have kids, you know how this works, right? Dad, you are the greatest dad of all the dads on the face of the earth. No one has a father as gracious, as magnanimous, as generous as you. Okay, what do you want? Right? I mean, to what do I owe this unsolicited expression of affection and affirmation and encouragement? Often because I want something from you, Dad. Dad. When kids do that, we call it cute, and we chalk it up to immaturity and childishness. And when adults do that, God calls it sin. See, scholars tell us there's no time in the history of Israel when they weren't bringing sacrifices. If Isaiah is talking about his own day, the sacrificial system was in effect. And if he's talking about exile in Babylon, they were prohibited by the Babylonian exile from bringing sacrifice. And so there's, there's no time in which the people refused to bring their sacrifices to God. But what God is saying is, yeah, you're bringing me your sacrifices, but they're not for me. They're about you. They're about putting me in your debt so that I'll do what you want. I wonder, do you find yourself relating to God that way sometimes? Do you find yourself thinking that God kind of owes you? That in light of what you've done for God, it's about time He did something for you. Do you ever have conversations with God that go like this? God, what's up? I mean, here here I've... I've been faithful to you, I'm showing up for worship, I'm obedient, I'm trying to live a life that honors you, and and yet, I still haven't gotten that promotion at work? God, God, what's up? I, I keep myself pure while all my friends are hooking up and shacking up, and I'm the one who's alone? God, what's up? I'm I'm serving. I'm faithfully showing up and working behind the scenes and ministering to others and I still haven't been invited to lead. God says if if you find those kinds of calculations taking place in your spiritual subconsciousness, then it's not me that you're calling on. That's not worship. That's something else. At Quorum Dale, we often contrast religion and the gospel. Works and grace. Uh, self-righteousness and the righteousness from God that comes by faith. Here are some ways to think about the difference. Religion says, I obey so that God will love me. The gospel says, God loves me, therefore I obey. Religion says, I give in order to get. The gospel says, I give because of what I've been given. Religion says, worship God so that God won't be mad at you. The gospel says, worship God because Through Jesus, He's not mad at you. Isaiah says, do you know what creates spiritual weariness? Religion. This way of relating to God is what makes you tired and worn out and dry. And so, Isaiah wants you to ask this question this morning. If you're burned out and tired and dry and dead in your soul... Would you look into your heart, and would you be honest about what you see there? Are you relating to God in a religious way? Do you have this sort of transactional calculus going on in your head? If I do this, God should do that. Are you giving God what he wants so that he'll give you what you want? And will you hear God's assessment of that? You have wearied me with your iniquities. God says, let's just be honest and let's not call that worship because that's not what it is. That's sin, that's iniquity. And so Isaiah is inviting us this morning to repent of religion, to stop trying to put God in our debt, to stop treating God in a transactional way. Isaiah is inviting us this morning to cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry for treating you like a vending machine where I put in the coin of my worship and push the button and you dispense the thing that I'm really after. God, I'm sorry. That's not who you are. That's not true worship. Our spiritual weariness, their spiritual weariness is rooted in religion, works righteousness. And so the first work that we need to do this morning is the work of repentance. We need to acknowledge where this takes place in our souls and how we tend to see God and relate to God this way. But in order to bring us to repentance, what God always does is He shows us His grace. He delivers to us His promises. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So Isaiah wants to first of all hold up a mirror to you and say, do you see where your weariness comes from? Do you see this transactional way that you relate to God? Now now see that. And let me, through the kindness of God, provoke you to something else. What Isaiah does for the rest of this section is he gives us five promises from God that correspond to the five signs of weariness we already talked about. And so what he wants us to do now, Isaiah is trying to move us to repent, to say, let's not relate to God this way. And how he wants to do that is to just help you hear Believe, receive these five promises. Let's believe them. Let's rest in them. They begin in the very next verse. Five gracious promises of God. Promise number one is the promise of forgiveness. Promise of forgiveness. We said the very first sign of spiritual weariness is that you feel weighed down by your sins or the sins of others. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 25. Right after God says, You have burned me with your sins and you've wearied me with your iniquities, he says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Notice God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions. He locates his very identity in the blotting out of transgressions and the forgetting of sins. I'm the God, he says, who does that, who forgets, who blots out your transgressions. That's who I am. Are you weary this morning? Are you weighed down by your sin or the sins of others? Isaiah says, stop dwelling on your sin. Stop dwelling on the sin of others around you and instead dwell on the God whose very nature is the blotting out of sin. This is who God is. Believe this. Receive this promise of Forgiveness. Count this to be true about who God is, that He is the God who forgives sin. Isaiah says if you'll receive that promise, if you'll embrace that as true about God, you can stop being weighed down by sin, yours and others. So the first promise Isaiah gives us is the promise of forgiveness. Promise number two is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second sign of spiritual weariness, we said, was a, a feeling of spiritual dryness. And so in light of that, look at Isaiah 44, verses 2-4. through four. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams." Notice this is a pouring out of God's Spirit. This is not a drip. This is not a trickle. This is not the faucet in your house that doesn't quite turn off all the way. This is a deluge of God's renewing, refreshing Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit on you, on your offspring. Have you ever considered that maybe you're spiritually dry? because you're not relying on the Holy Spirit at all. Have you ever considered that maybe you're spiritually dry because you're trying to live a life of obedience and worship to God entirely in your own strength? If tomorrow God took away His Holy Spirit from you, would you notice? Would anything about your life, your devotion, or your ministry to others change? God says, if you're dry this morning, I want to pour out my Spirit on you. And the result of that kind of outpouring and outflowing of the Holy Spirit is, notice verse 5, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. The result of God pouring out His Spirit is people lining up to commit to God. Hey, can I, can I get in on that? I want to belong to Jesus. I want to be one of God's people. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want to see in your own life? Isn't that what you want to see in our church? Isn't that what you want to see in our city? It's people finding life and joy and freedom in Christ and saying, yep, I want to be in on that. I want to be one of God's people. Isaiah says, this is the result of... God pouring out His Spirit. This is what we want. It's what we long for. This is the nature of true revival as Trent was praying about in our liturgy. I want you to long for this, and I want you to believe this, and I want you to receive this promise, and I want us to be a people who embrace and long for the refreshing presence of the Spirit of God among us and in us and through us. I want you to know, I took a day of solitude last week. One of the things I try to do on those days is just to spend some extended time in prayer. And so I prayed this verse and this promise by name for each of you who are covenanted members of Quorumdale. It's my longing for all of you, but I had a list of those who are members of our church, and so I just prayed through that list by name, and I said, God... Would you pour out your spirit on Jason? God, drench him with your spirit. God, would you pour out your spirit on Rob, and would you you overwhelm him with your goodness and with spiritual renewal? God, would you pour out your spirit on Ian and on Angela, and would you overwhelm them with the presence and the power of your spirit? I just prayed this for us and for you, and I wonder, is this your longing for yourself and for the people around you? Ray Ortland posted this recently. What we urgently need today are more churches where the Spirit of God is moving in gentle, lovely, non weird revival. Isn't that great? It's what you want, right? Gentle, lovely, non weird, non freaky, non odd revival. Real revival. Not made-up revival, not manufactured revival, not let's do our best to create revival, but really true moving of the Spirit of God in non-weird ways that make us more lovely, and more beautiful, and more godly. God says, this is what I want to give you. If you're thirsty, if you're dry, I want to pour out my Spirit on you. Promise number three, the promise of exclusivity. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. You say, well, how is that a promise? That sounds more like a provocation, right? Right? After all, we live in a pluralistic world where we want to give people freedom to believe in whatever God they decide to believe in and say there's many roads to God, many paths to God. And so this seems like a provocation. This seems like God uh, provoking us. It doesn't seem like a promise. Hang with me here. Do you remember we said the third sign of spiritual weariness is that you feel joyless and restless? And Isaiah says the reason you feel that way is because you're chasing after false gods. Idols that can't deliver what they promise. You're joyless and restless because the things you're chasing after can't fulfill you. Isaiah says later on in verse 9, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. You catch that connection? The things they delight in, the things they're trying to find joy and happiness and fulfillment in, don't profit. They don't deliver a return on that investment. They don't do the thing that we trust in them and give ourselves to them in order to get. So when God says, besides me there is no God, He's making a statement of what's true about the universe. And he's also saying, only I can fulfill you. Only I can actually give you the happiness and the fulfillment and the joy and the rest that you're actually after. You can keep chasing false gods if you want to. But for those of us who have done that, only to find them empty, the promise of exclusivity in God is a wonderfully gracious promise, isn't it? The joy and rest that I've been looking for is actually out there. I've just been looking in the wrong place. It's in God. It's in the one true God, the living God, the God who created heaven and earth. And so again, Isaiah invites us to ask, what are you living for? And how's that working? What are you chasing after? How's that working? You'll notice in this section, this long mockery of idols. This long narrative section where Isaiah tells us the story of a guy who goes and plants a tree in the forest and lets it grow big and then cuts it down and builds a fire with half of it. And with the other half, he makes a really beautiful idol and sets it in his house and bows down to it and prays and asks it to deliver him. Isaiah is just using common sense mockery. He's saying, this guy cooks his food over half the tree and worships the other half. Does that make any sense? Can anyone look at that and go, that's ridiculous? But that's exactly what idolaters were doing in Isaiah's day, and it's the same thing we do. We look to created things and say, this will bring me joy and meaning in life. And Isaiah is saying, no, it won't. Just think about it. It's cre- You made that. A God that you make can't possibly give you something that's beyond you. But the God who made you can. So exclusivity is a beautiful thing because it means God can deliver on what He actually promises. He can fulfill us in ways everything else we're chasing can't. Promise number four that Isaiah gives us in this text is the promise of welcome. Remember we said a fourth sign of spiritual fatigue is that you feel distant from God. For those of you who are in that place or have been in that place, listen to Isaiah 44, 21 and 22. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That's grace. Religion says, return to me and maybe I'll redeem you. Grace says, return to me because I already have redeemed you. God says, look, there's no need for you to feel or to be distant from me because I've already redeemed you. So return to me. I've wiped out your sins. There's nothing to separate me from you. There's nothing that should or can create distance between us. So believe that promise and return to me. If there's distance in your relationship with God, who moved? Not God. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I welcome you. You're invited in. The fifth promise that we have in this text is the promise of renewal. Remember, we said the fifth sign of spiritual fatigue is that you feel hopeless and cynical about yourself and about others and about the world in general. Isaiah 44.23 Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. The appeal to creation, to join in the worship of God, is not just poetic overstatement. God is saying here, I promise you, there's a great renewal coming. The forests, the mountains, the depths of the earth, the whole material universe is going to break out in song because I'm going to renew it all and it's starting right now with you. That's what's coming. And listen to me, that's where the whole book of Isaiah is going. When we get to Advent, when we get to Isaiah in the 60s, chapter 60 through 66, you're going to see this is what we see. This is a picture God gives us is an entirely renewed material creation. That's where things are headed. And you know what the down payment is on that? The renewal of the people of God. What I'm doing right now in you to bring renewal, I'm going to do on a broad scale to the entire earth in the end. And it all begins now with you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. He has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. My friends, religion is transactional. Religion is rules that we obey so that God will favor us. So that God will give us what we want. Grace is merciful. Grace is promises to be received and believed by faith. So the way out of spiritual tiredness and weariness and burnout is a new apprehension of grace. Receiving the promises of God as true for you. That's the way out of spiritual weariness. Isaiah wants you to see this morning, to those of you who feel weighed down by your sin, God promises forgiveness. I am the God who blots out your transgressions. To those of you who feel spiritually dry, God promises to pour out His Spirit. To those of you who feel joyless and restless, God promises His exclusivity as a means to your eternal joy. To those of you who feel distant from God, God invites you to return and promises welcome. To all of you who feel hopeless and generally cynical about the world, God promises the renewal of it all and encourages you to believe that in a way that changes how you live in it right now. And all these promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. All these promises in Isaiah 43 and 44 are a huge blinking arrow pointing us to the Redeemer. He is the one by whom God blots out sin. He is the one who sends forth the Holy Spirit on the church as His gracious gift. He told His disciples, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is the exclusive Savior who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the reason God can welcome us, invite us to return to him, because in Jesus our sins have been canceled. He is the one whose kingdom has come and is coming, and who will renew the world and make it right. a new heavens and a new earth ruled by a new king named Jesus who actually has the power and authority to make everything right. All of these promises find their yes and their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ and all of them are for you. And Isaiah says, hey, are you spiritually weary? Are you tired? Are you burned out? Will you repent of the ways that you've made your relationship with me a transaction? Will you turn from the ways that you're trying to put me in your debt? And instead, will you just receive all the gracious promises I'm offering you based on who I am and what I've done for you in Christ? My friends, this is the way to renewal. This is the way to revival. This is the way to new life. This is the key to lasting joy and satisfaction and purpose and meaning and spiritual vitality. This morning, let's be done with religion and let's embrace the grace of God. Would you pray with me? God, we confess to You this morning that our disposition is to blame our weariness on you or on your people instead of acknowledging that it is a result of our deeply self-righteous tendencies. So this morning, we just want to embrace the freedom of repentance. just want to say, God, we've, we've made it about us instead of about you. We've treated you like the genie in the lamp that we rub through our worship and prayers, and then you pop out and we, you're supposed to grant our wishes. We've treated you transactionally, that if we do this, you're supposed to do that. God, we we have deeply self-righteous traits in our hearts that lead us in this direction. And this morning, we just want to acknowledge that. We want to turn from that. We want to acknowledge that that's not how you intend to relate to us, and that the more we relate to you that way, the more it brings death and dryness and staleness and weariness in our souls. So God, would you help us be done with that? Would you help us turn from that? Would you stir us to repent of that and embrace instead the reality of grace? The promises that you make to us and fulfill in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us to embrace this morning the reality that our sins have been blotted out if we have embraced the Lord Jesus? Would you help us to embrace the promises of renewal of the entire creation that are ours in Jesus? The promise of the Holy Spirit that you give through our union with Jesus? Would you help us to embrace and believe that all these things are ours in Christ? And this morning, would you renew our trust in Him? And for those in the room who have not yet embraced the Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd be softening their hearts and bringing the true and deep and lasting conversion that comes through conviction of sin and the realization of who Jesus is and what He's done. God, we want to be a renewed people. And we want to live in renewed ways with a new sense of spiritual vigor and vitality and joy. And so forgive us for blaming it on you and on each other. Help us take responsibility for our sin and turn to you to experience forgiveness and new life by grace. Amen.